What's up, everybody? I am back with another edition of the Sunday Scary Stock Talk podcast, and I am joined by special guest Stonk Metal. He's a German investor who's in college, so he brings a unique perspective of somebody that's just started doing it and self-educated for about two years. He's putting out content and writes for Seeking Alpha as well. So we go through how he's been educating himself, uh, how his how he determined good from bad information, how his degree is helping him with his investing, how he looks at good capital allocators and companies, what are some of his goals in investing, the investing landscape in Germany, his perspective as a value investor, and then we dive into one of his holdings as well. And then, of course, we wrap it up with some great advice for new investors. So, be sure to tune in, and as always, this is not financial advice and never will be financial advice. It's strictly for entertainment purposes only, so please, 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 as a reminder, remember, this is not financial advice, not financial advice, not financial advice. Now let's get into the episode. Whoosh. What's up, everybody? I am back with another edition of the Sunday Scary Stock Talk podcast. But before we get started, I'd like to thank my sponsor, Inverse. Inverse is a social and collaborative investment research platform. Companies like Robinhood increase access to financial markets. Well, Inverse is increasing access to high-quality investment research and discussion. Their entire platform is built around some top-notch data and tools and on over 10,000 stocks and ETFs, which is seamlessly embedded into the platform. And in the coming weeks, here's a special hint from uh, your boys here at Green Candle. Uh, you'll be able to link your brokerage account and share your portfolio to maximize that credibility. So you know, if you write a thesis on a stock, you'll be able to show, hey, I actually own it. I got some skin in the game. So maybe uh, you know you should look at a bull. And uh, not listen to all these bears about this uh, certain stock or equity. And you can share your portfolio and, uh, you know, kind of critique it and get some uh, other opinions on it and other great stuff. You'll be able to clean your portfolio with your analytics tool. And I myself has been using the inverse tool and uh, website for the past couple weeks now and i'm loving it so if you want to come and join me on that platform you could even join my green candle group so come on and join it's completely free now into the episode i have a great great guest the stock metal investor stock how you doing today hey i'm doing well hope you're doing well too yeah i'm doing great i'm doing great so um why don't we all go ahead and get into it so tell me about yourself, uh, a little bit about your background and, you know, how you got into investing. Yeah, definitely. So first off, I'm based in Germany. So most people on social media, especially in the in the stock stock market scene are from America. And I also don't have the same kind of background that some people have. Like when I hear these, uh, the big guys in social media talk about their 20 years in investment banking and stuff like that. I don't have that kind of stuff. I'm 23 years old and I'm just finishing my bachelor's right now, trying to get a foothold in investing. And I've been doing that for the last, I think at this point, a little over two years in in the stock market and a little bit in crypto. Before that, I had some touching points with investing uh, before. 
that was in a very different setting though that was in a in a video game where I collected and, and traded items which actually was a pretty good time <laughs> so that got me my starting capital and then in i think shortly after the the market crash in 2020 i started to look into the market and started to buy my first stocks I, I switched my my strategy a lot since then, and I don't think I own any of the of the first ten stocks I bought. So, <laughs> so there is that. I gotcha. So, uh, you know, how did you kind of find investing? I know you said you're, uh, you know, in college right now, and you're just kind of, you know, figuring things out. And uh, generally speaking, people in college don't have too much money or anything like that to throw around. So, what kind of made you find investing? And uh, yeah, was it, you know, maybe your parents or, or something you learned in school um, or was it just kind of your own desire to grow your, grow your own wealth? Yeah, it, it basically was my own desire. And, and like I said, I did the, the whole trading and investing thing in, in a video game in, in Counter-Strike. So that got me somewhat in the mindset, at least of like how it feels to make money and how to see stuff appreciate in value. In, in school and even in university, I didn't really learn anything about investing. I had a single course about investing, which I, uh, I got into like roughly half a year after I started investing. So that actually also got me, funnily enough, into the stock market because a friend of mine who was one, one semester above me had the same course and, and, and started investing himself. Uh, by himself simultaneously as he did the course so we started to talk about investing and that's that's how i got into it but but really from my personal uh, environment besides that i i hadn't really had any any touching points to investing the german culture for investing and generally like the whole monetary culture is is pretty bad to be honest like in, in america you have things like uh, 401ks and Roth IRAs and all that kind of stuff. So you get people, even if it's just through their work, to invest into the market. In Germany, that's pretty much not a thing. I think in America, it's like 50% of people are invested in, in the market in some way. In Germany, that's like, I think before the pandem pandemic, it was 6%. Now it's like 8% or something like that. So it's it's pretty much non-existent. So if you mention like I'm investing in the stock market, most people around here will say like, yeah, be careful, dude, don't lose all your money. It's it's a scary place. <laughs> so that's the general mindset. We had uh, some pretty bad things happen with the dot-com crash. One of the biggest uh, German companies, the Deutsche Telekom, went public around there. And I think they even had like television advertisement about their stock. And so people piled into that. And uh, if, if you look at the chart after the IPO, it's pretty much looking like the Eiffel Tower. So a lot of Germans got burned pretty badly, I think. And and yeah, that didn't really get better when the market crashed in 2008 again. <laughs> and a lot of German automakers, I think, got, got crushed as well. So yeah, it's, it's just not really a good place for, for an investment culture here. So... So yeah, that that wasn't really uh, I wasn't really able to talk with many people about it. 
Yeah, but that's awesome that it seems like you you know you found a friend um, or a colleague or what have you that that you yeah. can talk about it uh, about with, and and it's pretty interesting. You know, I, I I get like a wide range of people from you know Americans to Europeans and and all over for this podcast, and it seems like everyone has kind of like a different perspective just based on their culture. Um, you know, whereas. Uh, you know, like, like you said, it's, I think like in America too, it still doesn't have like a great, you know, connotation. Like a lot yeah. of people still kind of are, are wary on investing. And, um, you know, I think uh, the stat is like 46% of Americans have some sort of uh, investable assets. Whereas, you know, I think a good, uh, I think of those 40% or 46%, only 15% of those are like kind of like self-managing or have like stocks outside of their form. Yep, but but even, even those 15% are more than the total population of Germans that invest. So <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I mean, and, and those That's definitely better. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, obviously the 401k and the IRAs and all these retirement vehicles yeah. are really great and uh, they help a lot of the, you know, Americans get invested yeah, um, I always get so uh, sorry for interrupting you, but I always get so jealous when I see people on Twitter talking about max out your 401k and, and all that stuff. Well, I can't do that. <laughs> I have to use my my taxable brokerage brokerage account. So we, we get I, we get some leeway with a uh, we have 801 euros. I don't know why that's that's the amount, but but we have 801 euros of profit we can make on investments be it like like selling at a profit or getting dividends so those won't be taxed but i mean 801 euros that's that's not really much <laughs> they will increase it to 1k but still doesn't really move the needle much so yeah <laughs> yeah for sure so um you know i i guess what are like kind of some of the retirement vehicles that you guys have there do you have that option or is it you know, is this part of the reason why you kind of got started was like, hey, there's not really much uh, retirement options here. So, uh, you know, I need to get ahead of this and kind of do it on my own. Yeah. So so there is the the German pension, which basically is a state funded pension. But I mean, if I'm being honest, I expect to see zero euros or whatever currency we have when I could retire. So I, I don't really bank on it. At this point, I think we, we spent like, I think, 12% of our GDP just to to fund the uh, the excess money that's that's missing out of the pension fund that's not getting funded by, by taxes. And we already have high taxes, so you can't really lever, lever that up either. So, And it's only growing. And yeah, from the population age, it's not getting better either. So the whole system basically is, is collapsing. It was invented in 1890, I think, by, by Bismarck, back when people got like to age 40 and then they had to go through a war or two in between. So it's a great thing then because you will always have enough young people uh, earning money to, to help the, the retired folk. But, but nowadays it just doesn't work. So I think we do have some, like some insurance thing we can do but but then we have to we are basically forced to put our money in there and they invested into a mix of bonds and stocks which in my opinion just doesn't make a lot of sense if i invest money now that i will ha want to have in 40 years why the hell would i put it into bonds like what what must happen to the world economy that in 40 years 
I will have like a better return with bonds than with my stock portfolio. So, and then they always have like at least 1% management fee. So I would rather just put it in like, even if I wasn't active, the investing, I would just put it in an MSCI world or in an S&P 500 index. And it's just a lot better than the options we have in in, in the normal uh, German retirement uh, situation. So, so sadly, nothing nothing good here. <laughs> yeah, I gotcha. That makes sense. Um, so uh, let's uh, back it up a bit. So you uh, you know obviously started this account to start putting out some investing related content yeah. and things like that. You even write for Seeking Alpha, which is awesome. Um, so how did you kind of get started putting out content? Did you, you know, what was your kind of overarching goal? Was it more so to help you know, educate some of your friends? Like, hey, this isn't as scary as, you know, maybe the perception <laughs> is, or was it just so like you could kind of learn in public and, you know, more for, I guess, uh, you know, self, uh, self-satisfaction? Yeah, it's probably a, a mixture of all those things and a lot more. <laughs> I love talking about stuff on, on Twitter. I have a another Twitter account, which is just for my my uh, CSGO stuff and my normal real life stuff and all that. So I was already familiar with Twitter and was uh, addicted to it pretty much. So then when I started investing into stocks, I decided that the people over there don't really care about it. So I just made another account at uh, Stock Metal and, and started publishing there. And yeah, basically it also was to to start to learn because investing has a, an incredibly steep learning curve. And when you get started, I was very overwhelmed. Like my, my first investment research, if I can call it like that, is Googling good stocks to buy, which ended, uh, ended me up buying, uh, buying Coca-Cola and Colgate Palmolive. So, uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's it's a hard place to start. So I decided if I can put out content and get into conversation with others, then it's it's probably going to be a lot better for, for both parties. So that's how I got started with Twitter. And then everything else uh, revolved after it. Yeah, I got you. That makes sense. So, um, you know, like you said, you kind of gotten started educating yourself and, and doing all that kind of stuff, like whether it was on Twitter or Seeking Alpha or some of these other places, how have you gone about, you know, invest, uh, educating yourself? Did you like kind of read a lot of books? Um, have you like kind of found, uh, I guess, various resources or something along those lines uh, on the internet? Or, you know, is there something that else that I'm, that I'm missing here that, uh, you know, helped you kind of along your investing journey? Yeah, so I didn't really read too many books. I think the first book I read was like most people, The Intelligent Investor from, uh, from Graham which I think I read maybe four months into the whole thing. So I, I don't even think I finished that one. It's, it, it bought me a lot, to be honest. <laughs> so I, I kind of started reading that, but then I, I stumbled over s- several chapters uh, only talking about bonds. And I looked at the market and was like, bonds are yielding 0%. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not putting that into my portfolio. Why is he talking about it? <laughs> so that really didn't resonate with me early on. So I didn't really start with books. I, I pretty much started with uh, with looking on YouTube and looking on, on Twitter. Twitter was also kind of rough for me to get into at first because I didn't really understand the whole ticker thing. Because in, in Germany, we don't really use those tickers a lot. 
So we just look up the, the stock name. And when I then went on to Twitter and I saw all these tickers, which in some cases don't even make sense, I was just super confused. <laughs> so I I found some some good German YouTube channels and also some some good American YouTube channels later on. So that helped me helped me a lot. And then it was basically between Twitter and and YouTube for the for the beginning. Gotcha. That makes sense. And yeah, I mean, I, I tried to read, uh, you know, the, I think my grandmother gave it to me one, one year <laughs> Christmas because she knew I was like super into investing. Uh, she gave me the intelligent investor and I've tried yeah. to get through it, but it's just very technical. Um, yeah. It's, it's not, it's not a good start, but everybody recommends it as a start. And I just don't agree with, with it. <laughs> yeah. I think it's like more so like, you know, for me, uh, you know, a big book and it's really popular kind of like in the real estate investing space where people really, okay. Um, well, not, not that book. Oh, okay. The, book. the one you read. Yeah. Oh, so okay. another yeah, book that I'm recommending is uh rich dad, poor dad. And yeah, that's about that. Like, yeah. uh, you know, whether it's investing or, um, you know, just like kind of like a lifestyle thing. I think that that book is, is a good starter to kind of get people in the mindset um, you know, it's, and it's a little bit more tailored towards real estate because that's how mm -hmm. he is. You know, he, he talks about cash flow and other things, but it kind of gets you guys, I guess, like in the mindset of like, hey, I'm going to pay myself for something later down the road. Yeah. And um, so I think that one's a little bit easier to understand. It doesn't really get into the nitty gritty, you know, the technicalities, all the mathematics and everything to evaluate stocks and, and things like that so um yeah i i agree with you it's it's tough especially if you don't really have that background and you're not like super super into you know reading about all this kind of stuff with with stocks yeah. valuation but obviously it's a little bit more of an advanced book and i think that you know it can kind of be good for people you know down the road but initially it, it is pretty tough yeah to there, there are definitely better books and also read better books later on which i wish i would have read earlier but then again i mean i i'm i'm two years into the journey so i i'm not really too disappointed on it <laughs> yeah. but like what, what i'm reading right now is is from uh from peter lynch uh oh what's it called uh, the really popular one <laughs> um, i don't know uh, Let me Google it. One, one, one step ahead of Wall Street, I think it it is called. Okay. One but up yeah, on Wall Street. One up on Wall Street, yeah. yeah. There <laughs> so you go. Like like that's a really good beginner book, I feel like, because it talks about his approach. I'm not through it yet, but it's basically his approach of buying things that he sees in real life, for example. We miss so many things when we just focus on the numbers, but if we walk outside and see all these stores and see them expand and like selling good products so that's one approach which more so in the us to be honest because most of the time german brands aren't really public so if you see a a rising german like restaurant brand for example chances are they are private so that's also a disadvantage uh, with investing in germany but, but yeah <laughs> we basically get the us stuff when it's already big most of the time so <laughs> yeah i got you i understand but i i mean that's that's pretty awesome i mean because because it, it's a pretty similar uh strategy to what warren buffett uh you know kind of goes about and, yeah. and teaches as well so i think that, that you know when it comes down to a lot of these big guys are like hey 
you know, you can complicate investing as much as you'd like yeah. <laughs> and get into the numbers. You can do all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, you could just walk outside or walk down the street and see which brands are thriving, you know, when you go to these stores and other things like that. So, or if you just kind of look around and say like, Hey, you know, all these people have iPhones and MacBooks or whatever. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so uh, I definitely think it's like, you know, a good way to go about it um, and everything like that. But um you know, on the content note, how do you kind of determine what is good information and bad? Because I think that there's like a lot of mediums that you could put out your content now. You know, you brought up YouTube, you brought up Twitter. Um, and even some of these people with like large followings, they don't really put out great content or, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> things like that. So how do you kind of determine the good information from the bad? Yeah, that, that's a very important part. That also kind of turned me off Twitter at the beginning. You get all these very huge accounts that only talk about like success and all that stuff. Basically, like pay yourself first, uh, get a, a second income stream as as fast as possible, but they don't talk about how to get it. They just do some inspirational stuff that doesn't really get you anywhere. And they basically post that every day, I feel like. So <laughs> yeah, that's also a like a problem I have with many dividend accounts because it's always about like, yeah, I'm getting that yield and I'm reinvesting it. Yeah. That's not really interesting content in my opinion. So there's a lot of content that is not really great. So in my opinion, it, it takes a while until you can, until you can uh, go through it and see what resonates with you. So yeah, it's kind of hard on the spot to to say what I look for, but I, I try to look for people that don't really throw around too many numbers that don't make a lot of sense, and then people that focus on on a single thing on on a range of things. So that's that's probably a way you can do about it. And people that don't pretend to be great at what they do, like I prefer people that show some humility and don't put out how perfectly they bought the dip and all that stuff because chances are they 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 didn't <laughs> so yeah but but then again every medium is is different for that kind of stuff if you look at youtube for example it's very different for twitter but i feel like you just have to go through it a bit and uh and see for yourself kind of hard to to like get a specific criteria for that i feel like yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, the, the way that I do it is I kind of look at, you know, I, I, I take the information and I don't immediately go run and buy whatever these people are. Yeah, saying. definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of go and like try to find multiple sources on it. I do my own research and I definitely like sit back and try to think like, you know, how, like, does this make sense? Um, yeah. You know, I, I take it for what it is. It is a person putting out content and trying to, you know, either learn in public kind of something that, that, you know, maybe you and I are doing or like, you know, as an expert in the field and, you know, then we can really track the results and, and see, you know, what they're, what they're talking about. And so I don't know, I think, yeah, it, it is a tough, tough thing to do now, but I think, you know, there's also, you know, somebody that you got to kind of relate to. So whether it's yeah, you know, definitely yourself, where it's like a student kind of going through and figuring it out, or if it's like, you know, I, I think a lot of these experts are, are really hard to, to relate to for the average person because they yeah. get technical. And, uh, you know, once you don't understand things and they start kind of talking over your head, I think that's where 
uh, you know, a lot of these content creators lose a lot of value. In my opinion, yeah. I think I, I try to always dumb it down to, you know, where a third grader or somebody with a very minimal education or I has no idea about investing can kind of understand what I'm saying. And I think that's where the true value, uh, you know, lies for a lot of these content creators um, is that just the ability to kind of relate it to to majority of people or to the masses. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely think it's it's great that there is a lot of content out there, but it is kind of, uh, you know, a little bit harder right now to 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 like filter that. Um, yeah. it, it's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> exactly. And so you mentioned it before, you're, uh, you know, currently in school, you're getting a bachelor's of science in business informatics. So uh, that isn't, at least I haven't really heard of that in the States. So what is that degree kind of entail? And how do you kind of uh, think that that your background in business informatics is going to help you become a better investor? Yeah, I, I think it's a pretty popular thing in Germany, but it's it's not as popular outside of Germany. So basically, it is trying to combine economics and informatics, like the the name suggests. So we get thrown into all these different topics like accounting and programming and all that kind of stuff. But we don't really dive too deep into it. But we get a, I don't want to say surface level understanding of uh, many different topics. But we aren't really experts in, in one topic, but rather... Uh, get to to learn a lot of different things and then we can later on decide where we want to go into so i first uh, got into the uh the bachelor's the, uh, the bachelor thinking i would do something with economics and now i'm uh doing an internship or pretty much my bachelor thesis in uh, programming so in software development so kind of funny how these things go so it's pretty cool that you get to experience a lot of things and try stuff out because before my uh my uh my studying i hadn't really had any touching points with programming so i got to understand that a lot better and also we talked a lot about enterprise software and systems like that so that that i feel like also helps to see the relevance in all these systems and kind of understand how they work and that's also where i see a a good match between investing in uh in, in stocks especially technology stocks and my degree because i know how to program i know how these systems work so that gives me an edge if i buy some some tech stock and i can also like see if it if it could like provide any value or if it's just some novelty software that I don't want to be harsh, but that nobody actually needs. <laughs> so I feel like to to figure out a mode, it also helps a bit. And then also the economics part, which didn't really help too much. I mean, I got a basic understanding of things like accounting and how, how banking works, maybe at a surface level and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, I was in the lecture about uh, investing after half a year of investing myself and absorbing knowledge. And I felt like I had more knowledge than my professor. So, or at least she didn't really do a good job at uh, portraying like the important parts. I had a, a six month or like four, five months lecture on, on, uh, on the stock market pretty much. And we didn't really 
like go into how to value a a business besides like a just getting thrown into a discounted cash flow which didn't really like make a lot of sense if you don't understand the things behind it so so yeah <laughs> i feel like the economics part didn't really help me as much as i would have thought yeah about investing yeah, you know, I think that that's interesting because uh, at least in the United States, you have to take like a general economics course, uh, no matter what degree you got. Um, and yeah, we had we had that in 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 my normal school as well, but but then again, it didn't really dive dive too deep. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't get very deep, but you know, we have simple things like supply and demand, and you know, just yeah, other, we had that. Yeah, yeah, yeah other kind of <laughs> metrics and stuff like that now, which. You know, if you kind of take a look and like zoom out on a lot of the economic policies that are going on now, um, it seems like a lot of these policies are just kind of ignored, uh, which yeah. is kind of interesting. And, you know, exactly like you said, I feel like the good investors kind of just break it down and make it very simple. Whereas, you know, now a lot of times um, that those things get kind of muddied up, uh, you know, people try to, you know, make make investing a little bit more complicated than it than it really is. Uh, and I think, you know, investing gets a little bit more simple when you kind of zoom out and have like a longer time horizon. Um, and so, you know, on that note, I know that you uh, kind of look at, uh, you know, your description on Seeking Alpha says you look at great capital allocators, spawners and companies with deep and winding moats. So, you know, what kind of uh, things do you look at when you're looking at companies and, uh, you know, kind of how do you view it? Like, what are your goals when you invest in a company? Do you plan on, you know, do you like reevaluate every year or, you know, every month or every week or, or what? Or do you kind of, uh, you know, evaluate it, buy and hold? And, and granted, uh, as long as nothing drastic changed, you plan on holding that for years to come. Yeah. So I try to do a, a strategy where I hold until basically my retirement in the perfect case or probably even longer. <laughs> so I look for companies that have durable growth and that have a durable business model. So that's also where I try to, to look at what the company does and figure out, is it actually necessary for society? Like, does it, does it help anybody? Do they have competitors that do it better? I try to avoid, avoid that. So I try to go for market leaders. So that's the surface level on the on the mode. And then I try to understand better why it is a good mode, why it is deepening or widening. And then also one very important part for me is capital allocation. I, I, I got into that when I read 100 Beggars from Chris Meyer. That really was when that whole uh, idea of capital allocation excellence really started to resonate with me. Because before that, I... I didn't really get into that but i think in in the book he quoted charlie munger talking about uh even if you buy a company making six percent on returns on capital at a steep discount it will still be a worse investment than a company generating 18 percent for a lot of years to come even if you pay a premium for it so this whole idea of buying or of buying uh, good businesses or excellent businesses at a fair price rather than okay businesses at a great price kind of resonates with me. So um, can I go back to the question a bit again? Because I think I 
Uh, yeah, I stumbled around a bit. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, it was great. You, so you're yeah. essentially like looking at companies that you believe are great businesses, yeah. and you're not, you know, you're not really worried about timing the market or anything like that, as long as you believe that it's going to be a good business long term. So, yeah. you know, you kind of spoke on it a little bit about you know wanting to buy and hold uh, these stocks until you're maybe around retirement age. But what is your overall goal with investing? Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. So my overall goal is, like most people, to get uh, financially independent at the end. So especially with uh, the, the way German retirement works, I don't really want to have to be forced to, to rely on it. So I try to get a lot of capital and then eventually I will probably either change my strategy or ideally I will have companies that pay a good dividend because right now I don't focus on it. But I would argue that in, in 40 years, the kind of businesses that don't pay a dividend right now, but a high quality businesses will pay a dividend back then, uh, in the future then. So that's that's sort of my goal, just basically to have basically my uh, own life in my own, own hands and not rely on, on somebody else. So yeah, that's, that's my, my reason for investing. I gotcha. And so you kind of touched on this a little bit earlier about, you know, the investing culture in Germany, how it's not very rampant or anything like that. Um, You know, so how is that? Have you felt that that has kind of changed, uh, you know, as of late? Um, You know, I know you said that the percentage of people invested has kind of gone up since, uh, you know, the COVID pandemic. Do you think that it's kind of being it's trending in the right direction where more people are kind of, uh, you know, coming around to it? Or do you still think that there's, uh, you know, some big hurdles before, um, you know, uh, some big hurdles to get over before investing culture is kind of where it is now in the United States, in Germany? Yeah, it is definitely moving in the right direction. We had the, the same phenomena as in the United States with companies like Robinhood. We, we don't have Robinhood, but we have other discount brokers that broke down a lot of the barriers because before uh, the pandemic, most of the brokerages had uh, atrocious fees. Like you would pay, I think like like a cheap transaction would be like 10 bucks or so. So that's not really something you want to do if you have little capital. And also it, it took ages to, to verify for one. You had to, to get a, a, a copy of your ID and mail it to the company in in our age where everything is digital. So <laughs> we had new players come into the market, digitalize the whole process and cut down on fees. So that really helped. And then the whole market euphoria, of course, with the whole uh, whole helicopter money and all that stuff really got people into the into the market. Because like statistically, if, you're, uh, if, the, if the market is in a bull run, then people will jump on. And sadly, people jump off in the worst time when we crash. And that is also happening in Germany. I think, I think uh, around three hundred thousand people uh, stopped investing in the last two quarters or so since the market started to to dive. So that's, I don't know how much that is, but it's probably a a good bit of the progress we did. Uh, yeah, but but I feel like that's that's normal. We always have people leaving in in the worst possible time. <laughs> yeah, of course, uh, always in the worst possible time. Yeah. So. Um, so you, you've kind of gotten into it about, uh, you know, how your investing process in Germany, 
you know, you've you've mentioned a little bit before you're an, a value investor. How have you kind of come across, you know, that strategy and uh, why did that strategy resonate with you and you decided to become a value investor? Yeah, my, my strategy changed a lot. Uh, early on, like I said, my process wasn't, wasn't really there. <laughs> like I remember Googling good stocks to buy. I bought Coca-Cola and Colgate Palmolive. Then I, I watched a video, good, uh, good, uh, good Chinese stocks to buy. And I bought Tencent and Alibaba. So there wasn't really any, any strategy and any thought process behind it besides uh, having a perfectly balanced portfolio with different countries and different industries and all that stuff. And then I ended up with, I think, around 35 companies in my portfolio, plus some ETFs in, I think it was early 2021. So I had a lot of like dividend stocks and all that stuff and then I got into the whole growth investing uh, niche and traded my my dividend stocks, which were uh, kind of cheap for the growth stocks that were way too expensive. <laughs> so yeah, then I changed to growth investing and started to build convictions in some companies. Uh, I also started to look more into qualitative features and as as I went further, I noticed that some of these growth stocks just don't have the same qualitative aspects that I actually look for. So I started to like go away from growth investing uh, in in parts and started to go more into the quality or value investing I I am doing now. Value investing is always a very hard term to define. I feel like. So for me, it's pretty much I want to buy durable companies that will continue to compound capital in an effective way. So I guess it's not really uh, traditional value investing, but rather uh, my definition of it. So that's that's what I look for in companies right now, like basically having a focus on how management uh, takes the money, the profits of the company and reinvest it. And if I have a growth stock, uh, roughly looking at how it is reinvested without the other qualities that mature businesses have. I think a good proxy is return on, on capital and return on equity. But if we look at a company like, for example, Mercado Libre, then they don't really generate net income yet. So you can't really judge that a lot. So, so there are different ways to, to look into these companies as well then. Yeah, that's crazy. It sounds like, you know, even though you've been investing for two-ish years, you've yeah. gone through <laughs> quite a few strategies. So what makes you think that, you know, this strategy is going to be the one and, you know, how does it, uh, I guess, you know, kind of help with your conviction with investing? Because I think when you get a lot of these growth stocks and they're, you know, maybe high value or... Yeah they go through the swings uh it's difficult to hold on to some of your holdings when it's riding on these up and down waves and especially you know in a time like now where it's you know very inflationary and uh we're seeing a dip going on right now uh, so how do you kind of help yourself find that conviction when it comes to uh you know a certain stock that you're investing in yeah the book that mostly uh influenced me there was as I mentioned before, 100 Beggars. That book really breaks down what you should should, uh, should look for. It's it's not even about getting a 100 Beggar because 
I mean, I'm I'm fine with it if it uh, doubles in in a few years or so. Don't really look look for that kind of return. But it talks about qualitative aspects that a company should have. So basically, a lot about the capital allocation part that companies should uh, allocate capital well. And that also got me away from dividend investing because, in my opinion, uh, there are five or, or six ways a company can invest uh, money or like use the profits. That is reinvest into the business, which is obviously the, the best idea if you have a, like a good return you can get on, on that investment. Then are also like acquisitions, but only if the company is good at acquisitions because you can destroy a lot of value with acquisitions like most of them actually do. I think it's like 70% of acquisitions destroy value, I think I read somewhere. So those are two of the of the good ways I feel like to to invest money. Then there's also paying down debt, which is very uh, situational. Then there is buying back shares, which is also very situational. And then if you have money left over, it's it's paying a dividend. So in, so what I felt like after reading the book is that dividends are really not something to to strive for, but rather a a byproduct of a company that uh, kind of doesn't have much ways to expand anymore. So it was a, a major learning why I look for companies with with high quality that also often pay a dividend, but but not a big one. My, my highest yield is 3% with Texas Instruments. And after that, I think the second biggest one is ASML with 1.2% or so. And then the majority have 0. Point, point something. So, so that's something I look into. Then I also try to, sorry, I try to buy businesses that are founder-led because especially in, in times like these, I feel like it's, it's, it's great if you can look at a company and, and you know that the, the founder and CEO is in the company, he holds, holds like 10% of the company. He, he will definitely act differently than a manager that, that holds like a small percentage of his net worth in the company and probably even gets more more on a salary basis than his investment. So that is why the whole idea of quality uh, high quality companies really is great for for basically any any uh any market situation in my opinion. Because with these growth stocks especially with unprofitable ones for example you you kind of have to fear for your money at some point like if if growth stops, then they have to finance at like selling stocks, but but not at like a thirty times sales ratio, but at a three times sales ratio, and the dilution will will kill the stock price pretty much. So, so basically, the goal for investing, in my opinion, is to be able to sleep well at night, and that's that's definitely something that I look for in companies as well. So so yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. But I mean, that's a great way to do it. And so, you know, I, I think even so now, like with the macro environment, we're not going to get into like the deep ins and outs of the macro. Um, you know, we're recording this on Tuesday, July 12th. Uh, I know on the 13th, tomorrow on Wednesday, the CPI numbers in the United States are going to be released. So there's probably going to be like an initial reaction, right? So it yep. always seems like the market will react on these days. Um, but It'll kind of turn back to normal the next day or so after yeah. that. Um, 
So it's, it's very reactionary. And unless you're like a day trader or something along those lines, I don't think that you really need to kind of go through and, and worry about that as long as you're investing in companies that you believe are going to be fine in the long term. Of course, if you're investing in these big growth companies, which I kind of think right now are kind of the ones that are going to get burned because you know, the Fed's tightening rates and it's going to be harder for these companies that don't actually make money to obtain easy capital to yeah. then, you know, uh, keep that company thriving. So I think, you know, getting back to those value investor fundamentals is really, you know, what's going to be beneficial for a lot of investors going forward. Obviously not financial advice, not a financial advisor or anything like that. That's yeah. just my opinion on, uh, on the whole thing. And so on that note, let's jump into stock investing. So how do you research a stock? Do you kind of, uh, you know, look at maybe a sector that you think is going to do really well, uh, you know, maybe in this recessionary time or or do you uh, look so at more of a broader spectrum of companies and then you kind of just dive into big companies that you hear about here or there? Yeah, so my, my process here also changed in the past. At first, I tried to represent most industries. So I even had some oil stocks and some insurance insurers just to have the sector but then i really noticed for myself that there is not really a point in doing that because then i might as well just buy an etf and be done with it so i have some some industries which i prefer which is obviously a software industry i also like healthcare a lot and i also like uh, e-commerce e-commerce is kind of tricky though because E-commerce by itself is not a great business, but most of these companies are, are great spawners and they manage to take the cash flows from, from e-commerce and build great businesses around it. So best, best, best example is Amazon. If I could just cut out the whole Amazon e-commerce business, I would do it on the spot and just keep AWS I mean, it would suck for the uh, advertising business, which pretty much uh, evolves around e-commerce. But, but the whole thing around it is, is is much more interesting. So that's my take on e-commerce, for example. But so I don't really focus on industries, and that's also a great advantage of the whole um, quality investing and great capital allocation part. You can really find these in in any industry. So what I like to do is I like to not not ex uh, essentially copy trade, but, but look what other other investors with similar strategies do. So that's that's some great thing you can do on Twitter. You can just look for a high quality company, look who is tweeting about it. Then you can can check out some people who are uh, positive about it. Then if you're lucky, they will have some portfolio uh, of themselves on Twitter, maybe even even pinned on the top to make it even easier. And then you can go through these companies, do like a very, uh, very slim dive into it, just look into how what, what it does, does it look good, scan the numbers. And so, so I try to, to look for these high quality companies, or at least what other high quality investors, okay, other investors investing in high quality companies, should rather say like look at what they have on their watch list what they get into and that's that's kind of my my process in the for these companies in the last time going just into a certain industry is is not really what i do so yeah gotcha that makes sense 
And that's uh, you know, that's great stuff. So um, let's break down then one company that you uh, actually wrote about for Seeking Alpha. And if you haven't yep. seen that, I will link that article in the show notes um, below. So you should go ahead and check that out because it's a great article, but it's Salesforce. So uh, how did you find Salesforce and what is your overall thesis on Salesforce as an investment? Yeah, uh, I found Salesforce uh, quite a while ago. Uh, when I first came across it, it was in a comparison with SAP. Not sure how popular or how, how known it is in the United States, but pretty much it's the world's largest ERP system maker, so enterprise software. And Salesforce is kind of in the in a similar way with enterprise software. They do different things, but but it's still enterprise software, so the stocks got compared. Back then, I was turned off by the high PE ratio. But then, I think a year later, I started to look more into it, and I saw that they had a and still have a great and growing market share in CRM, so customer re- relationship management. They have around 25% of the market share there. And basically, these ERP systems are incredibly sticky. So you have your company and you put a CRM system into it and then you start to build around it. So if you have the system for, let's say, two years, you have to have a really convincing offer from another company to switch from it. So ERP systems and generally enterprise software has incredible switching costs. That's also why I'm invested in Viva Systems, for example, which does a similar thing in the uh, in the life sciences and healthcare uh, sector. So Salesforce basically is the most dominant player in CRM, and they also continue to build around that themselves. So they have this good ecosystem, which keeps growing. They keep acquiring businesses, which can be a little messy sometimes because they take on debt and they buy with stock most of the time so for example the acquisition of slack they did in 2020 they paid 27 billion the the largest they they ever did half of it was stock half of it was um was that so now they kind of are in a mode where they will sorry where they will uh stop uh acquiring businesses for a bit and focus on what they built and try to smooth it out. So over the last year, Salesforce often, or like I think most of the time traded in a like 200 PE ratio or something like that. So most people will look at it and see the PE ratio and say, no way I'm investing in that. But underlying you have a business which is growing at 25% at a run rate of 25 plus billion dollars. So it's just incredible how they still continue to to grow their business and all that stuff. They have a very sticky business and they still are found a lead with a pretty good CEO, I think, in Mark Benioff. So all these different factors led me to invest into Salesforce. And it is a very controversial company, at least on Seeking Alpha. It's one of those battleground stocks uh, where everybody seems to have an opinion. <laughs> and there are some things i don't really like which is for example the dilution part salesforce is a heavy diluter like pretty much every SaaS company they have a lot of employees their employees employee count grew 
at around 30% CAGR for the last year. So they really built a lot of, of, uh, of an employee ship and all that stuff. And that cost a lot. So my thesis on that is that now with the whole building part being done for a bit, they will smoothen it out and improve margins because it is, it is a software business. They have incredible margins uh, if they can, can like get the process right. They have gross, mar gross margins of, I think, close to, to 80%. So currently net income margin is at like 0% or 1%, something like that. But free cash flow already is at like, I think, 20% or so. You have to uh, look at, free, uh, at uh, the dilution as well, of course, because in free cash flow, um, shares, uh, share, share dilution isn't really counted as an expense, but it is for a company. So right now, margins aren't great. But I, I believe that when they manage to break down these costs a bit, they, they spend a lot on marketing, for example, like I think, 10 billion a year or so. So all that stuff makes a good investment case in my opinion. And that's what I laid out in my article. And yeah. That's awesome stuff. So what would get you to, to you kind of listed it out a little bit already, but what would be the biggest thing to make you, I guess, sell uh, Salesforce and, uh, you know, not uh, continue to invest in it? Because I, you know, I agree a lot of these companies, they kind of have that sticky moat where, it would need a very enticing offer to, you know, switch over from Salesforce to another thing, you know, train up employees, and then you kind of delay business for a couple months. Um, so what would make you change your uh, thesis on Salesforce? Yeah, I'll definitely uh, look at the margins and if they improve in the, in the future. What really made me happy in the last um, uh, earnings report was that they actually talked about margins and that they uh, talked uh, to all the managers in the company and uh, encourage them to prioritize projects so that pretty much means that they shouldn't just uh, like do something to grow they should focus on the return with it more than before so I feel like that's going to happen but if let's say we look into 2024 and margins still are bad or if they do more acquisitions that aren't really uh, favorable. So those are some some aspects that would really get me to sell. Also, like stock-based compensation should at least moderate a bit. But that again, uh, yeah, it's not one single factor, but the whole uh, story should not uh, deteriorate in, in that way, yeah. I gotcha. This is all awesome stuff. So I really appreciate you breaking it all down and, you know, sharing a lot of what you've learned throughout these past couple of years of investing. And now to wrap it up, one last final question. Uh, so what is some advice for new investors and what would you kind of suggest as the first step for them to get started investing? Yeah, definitely. Uh, the first part is don't get discouraged because when I started investing, it was way too much information. And nowadays there's way too much information coming from all different angles, talking about all kinds of stuff. Don't get overwhelmed if there is too much macro talk, for example, and just try to, to find a niche you like, or like a investment strategy you like, try to find people you can talk to. There is a, there are great mediums like, like Twitter or common stock. Or, or Seeking Alpha is also good. You can find great communities on Twitter. 
uh, on, on YouTube, I mean, Twitter as well. And often these communities also have Discord. So that's also a great way to like actually talk on a more deeper level, I feel like, with people. So the whole social aspect of investing really is what helped me to talk with other people and also to listen to, to bearish people. There, there can be good bears and bad bears, of course, same, same way as with, with bulls. There are also people who always people who bring up valid points. And then again, there are people who bring up rubbish. So that's also like kind of hard to do, but, but be open-minded and don't like try to be in the whole, like, like honeymoon phase with a stock where everything is great. Try to be objective, even though it's hard and try to constantly learn and evolve your process and try to figure out what works for you. Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, you know, uh, on that note, you know, finding out what worked for you and getting conviction in those investments is the biggest thing during this yeah. time, you know, especially when it's you know, jumping up and down. Uh, it's all great stuff. So Sock Metal, thank you so much for your time. Why don't you tell people what you got going on and where they can find you? Yeah, sure. Uh, so the most, uh, the thing I'll talk most on is probably uh, Twitter. So that's at Stonk Metal. I am uh, called Stock Metal Investment on most uh, other platforms as well. So on Common Stock, let me see. I think it's also Stock Metal, uh, Stonk Metal. Uh, yeah, so on Common Stock, it's also Stonk Metal. I talk there uh, kind of in a similar way than on Twitter, I feel like. I also have a Seeking Alpha, which I think is also... Oh no, no, that's stock metal investment there. They actually got me to to rename myself because stock metal wasn't professional enough, funny enough. <laughs> so that's also where the stock metal investment name came from. So those are the three main ways you can you can find my content and talk to me. I also have my DMs open. So if you have questions and all that stuff, always happy to to talk. Awesome stuff. Well, everybody should go check him out and I will include all that stuff in the show notes so you can find those links below or in the show notes if you're listening on audio. So Stock Metal, thank you so much. And uh, Thanks for yeah, having me. Yeah, have a great rest of your week.